Welcome once again to a Pain in the Glass podcast. This is Bill Shearhart, National Coach with Curling Canada, coming to you from, a, again, my home in Grand Bend, Ontario, on the shore of Lake Huron, on the ancestral lands of the Kettle and Stony Point First Nations. A Pain in the Glass podcast is sponsored by Canada Curling Snow. Today's episode is a short one. It's a book review. And the book to which I refer is entitled The Score Takes Care of Itself. It was my summer read aboard my sailboat. Not while I was sailing, mind you, but when it was docked in the marina. It's something of a biography of the late coach Bill Walsh, the highly successful coach of the San Francisco 49ers from 1979 to 1989. Part of it is autobiographical and part biographical, with contributions from Bill's son and his colleagues. Clearly, the title of the book attracted me as that's what I believe has been so much a part of my coaching philosophy. Those who have read my articles and listened to the episodes in the podcast, I think will know that. It's the greatest mistake that athletes, coaches, and spectators and slash fans make in my view. You see, you can't control outcomes, and sometimes you will feel that you can't even exert much influence. But you can control and exert a great deal of influence on your performance. And when that happens, well, you see, the score takes care of itself. It's why I have a good chuckle around Olympic time. When I hear statements like, we're going for the gold, or... It's gold or nothing, or anything but gold means failure. All those statements are just so much male bovine excrement. When you hear them, just give your head a shake, roll your eyes, and hope that somewhere there's a trusted confidant that can set the person in question straight. If not, the chances of attaining that gold medal are reduced and in some cases rendered all but impossible. If you're one of those athletes, coaches, or spectators, I hope you're not offended by what I've just said, but I do hope you'll cease and desist in doing the gold thing. But back to the score takes care of itself. If you're not familiar with the late coach, Bill Walsh, let me tell you that when he became the head coach of the NFL's San Francisco 49ers, the team was considered one of the most inept in all the league, but within three seasons became Super Bowl champions, an amazing transformation, and it was a wholesale transformation from the way the office staff answered the phone to the intricate pass plays Bill himself devised. It didn't hurt that in those years, he had Hall of Fame players like Joe Montana and Steve Young. He developed a philosophy that permeated the entire 49er organization. He called it his standard of performance. Note, not his standard of winning. Many considered Bill Walsh a genius, but he had his trials and tribulations to be sure. On the return flight following a devastating loss to the Dolphins of Miami, he seriously considered submitting his resignation, but thankfully, in the duration of the flight, it allowed him time to heal the open wound the loss to the Dolphins had inflicted. 
You see, as you read that he didn't walk on water, he went through the downtimes that all coaches encounter. When I read that portion of the book, it immediately took me back to my very first coaching assignment at the University of Waterloo. I coached the U of W varsity curling teams, men and women, from 1900 to 1999. In my first year, we went to the Ontario University Athletic Association finals for both men and women. Although we didn't win the provincial championship, I was left with the thought that, hey, there's nothing to this. Boy, was I wrong. Despite my best efforts, we didn't even get a sniff of returning to the playoffs in the ensuing seasons. By the fifth season, it was getting to me. Like Bill Walsh, I felt that perhaps the program might be better in someone else's hands. And on my next visit to the athletic department at the University of Waterloo, I too was prepared to offer my resignation. The athletic director at the time was my former high school football coach, Wally Delahey, and he was also the varsity football coach for the Warriors. After a few moments of small talk, I got to the point about the reason for my visit. I only spoke a few sentences when he interrupted, looked me in the eye, and told me to get back to the Westmount Golf and Country Club, our training facility, that there were scholastic athletes waiting for me. He reminded me it wasn't about the championships. It was about what they were learning. And with that, I thanked him and headed straight to Westmount. Thanks, Wally. I'll not go on about the score takes care of itself, except to tell all coaches out there that it's a great read. And when you're finished reading it, you'll be a better coach. We play a game with a scoreboard, and most sports keep track of points scored, and at the end of the contest, someone will win and someone will lose. It's an interesting situation from both the standpoint of an athlete as well as a coach to be able to, as my friend Pat B. Reed said, look those two imposters in the eye and put them into perspective. Because a win and a loss can be very positive. And a win and a loss really can be negative as well. It all depends on your perspective, your point of view. One of the ways that I like to describe a curling game is that you're really not playing another opponent. You're playing sheet four or sheet foxtrot, however they designate them. And it's the team that plays that sheet better that ultimately wins the game. But that's that analogy is for another time, but I think you get the idea. But there's something that I have used from time to time. It's not original. It's not my idea. I don't know where I picked it up. And I call it the baseball analogy, and those of you who know me well will perhaps remember the baseball analogy. But for those who are hearing this for the first time, here is how it goes. And it's about a Major League Baseball scenario. So Major League Baseball teams, and as I record this, we're definitely coming up to playoffs, and 
In fact, when this episode is published, the playoffs might have already started. The teams play 162 games in a regular season. 162, that's a lot. But here's the interesting part. This is where the analogy begins. I can go to the very best team in baseball before that season begins. Maybe I know that they're the best team because of their record in spring training, possibly. And I can say to that team, despite your skill and experience and talent and all those things that make you the best team in baseball, I have breaking news for you. You're going to lose, for sure, a minimum of 50 games. And all that, despite your best efforts. I can then go to the very worst team in baseball, same thing, despite your ineptitude, lack of experience, you know, whatever it might be, I've got news for you. You're going to win for sure, absolutely for sure, a minimum of 50 games. So if you think about that 162-game schedule and you realize for all teams that every team is going to win 50 games, you know, for sure, kind of out of their control situation, and every team is going to lose 50 games for sure, more or less out of their control, again, no questioning effort. The season boils down to about 60 games. And it's those 60 games that make the difference. And if the win or the loss doesn't fall into one of the 50s that I've just described, one of the 50s that you're designated to win or one of the 50s that you're designated to lose, then you need to do something. Well, you really need to do two things. If you won, and that's why I want to start with the the when you won part, Make sure you know why you won. It just wasn't, you know, good luck and it was handed to you, or it wouldn't be in that group of those 60 games. On the other hand, if you lost, then be realistic. You know, why, why did you lose? What was, what, was the, what was the reason or reasons? And, and certainly, what lesson did you learn from the loss? I think that's really, really important that teams do this. But what's more important, possibly, is when the game is over, determine if it's in one of those three categories. If it's one of the 50s, either a game that you won and you know you probably didn't deserve to win, or if a game that you lost and maybe you thought you really did deserve to win, but it's, it's one of those 50s. But if it's one of the 60s, one of the 62s, then that's when you need to sit down and decide why did we win and why did we lose. So there's some advice for you. The baseball analogy, when the game is over and the team's together, is it a 50, a 50, or a 62? And you know what to do if it's in either of those three categories. This episode of the podcast is being published on the weekend of September 23, 24. 
Last weekend, I had the honor to participate in a Nova Scotia high-performance camp at the Lakeshore Curling Facility in Halifax. The newly minted Nova Scotia high-performance director, Kevin Ouellette, invited me. Very happy to be there. Very honored to be there. Kevin ran a great camp. He had coaches from the Halifax area, many of whom were instructing at their very first. Well, they certainly didn't look like rookies. They did a great job. And along with four experts in various fields, the uh, the camp uh, proceeded. It was supposed to be a Saturday-Sunday situation, but we had a, a, another guest in the Halifax area, and I think some of you will know the uh, the person, although it's not a person, even though it has a name, uh, his or her name was Lee, and of course I'm referring to Hurricane Lee. Fortunately, the the winds didn't get above the 100-kilometer velocity, and there wasn't nearly as much precipitation as there might have been, but there was enough of both to knock out the power in the Halifax area, so we had to send the athletes home there were to... Uh, spend Saturday afternoon. We were back in the Lakeshore Curling Facility bright and early on Sunday morning, and with some creative juggling of the schedule, we were able to touch all of the topics that Kevin wanted to deal with at the camp. So thanks to everybody for being so flexible. My return uh, home was to be on Monday. Well, it started out that way. I had a flight mid-afternoon from Robert Stanfield uh, Airport in Halifax. But the aircraft was late coming into Halifax, and so I was obviously late getting out of Halifax. Now, I knew I had about an hour and a half layover at Pearson in Toronto before catching the short last leg from Pearson into London, Ontario Airport. Well, uh, it was a little bit later getting off the ground in Halifax than I thought, but I, well, okay, it was still okay. Not a, got lots of uh, lots of time. I should should be able to catch the connection, no problem. But here's when the world kind of fell apart. When we landed, there was a problem with the bridge. Uh, I think those of you who fly know it. I mean, by the bridge, it's the device that gets you off the aircraft uh, so that you can uh, walk into the, the terminal. Uh, the problem with the bridge lasted longer than anticipated. Let's put it that way. It was into the 40, 45-minute mark. Now, I get a message on my phone from the airline saying that my flight is about to load. Whoops, now it's going to be tight. Well, I was about three quarters of the way back on the aircraft, so by the time I worked my way to the door and traversed the 10 minutes to the gate, when I got there, there was nobody there except the airline agent who had informed me that the flight had indeed left. So that meant that the airline was uh, going to uh, give me some meal vouchers and uh, put me up at a 
a local hotel for the night to catch a 7.30 flight in the morning. And that's when I made a new friend, because another individual flying Halifax to Pearson, Pearson to London, was a gentleman from Colombia, uh, South uh, Central American, or so, sorry, uh, uh, South American country, Colombia, and his name was Mario Gomez. And uh, suffice to say that uh, we spent a number of hours together uh, over dinner using those meal vouchers. And again, uh, before the flight took off the next morning, which was Tuesday morning, uh, we got to know one another. Uh, he told me all about his family uh, coming from Colombia and what he did. And when I explained what I did, he was fascinated to say the least. So we have a new listener to a Pain in the Glass podcast. And so my new best friend from Colombia, Mario, thank you for your uh, friendship. Uh, it really is a global village when you can meet people especially at airports from all over the world and uh, and his family live in London I gave him a, a ride home and uh, I said to him well Mario if you listen to the podcast I think I have a surprise for you and the surprise of course is to say hi to my new best friend so to all of you listeners out there thank you for joining me today at the podcast And as I say when I sign off, um, stay safe. And the thought for today goes like this. Don't drive any faster than your guardian angel can fly. So don't drive any faster than your guardian angel can fly. So until next time, this is Bill Shearheart from Grand Bend, Ontario. See you next week.